All right, hey, do me a favor, open up a Bible, turn on a Bible, get to John chapter 4. Still talking about the connection between Jesus and the woman at the well, and today is actually part two of a little two-part uh, message entitled um, Effective Witnessing. And I just want to recap a little bit from last week, and then we'll get into this week. And remember, I talked about last week that if you want to learn a skill, you, you want to learn it from someone who knows what they're doing. You just aren't going to kind of wing it. You're not going to ask somebody who doesn't know. You, you, you want to know, hey, I want to learn from a master. I want to learn from someone who knows what they're talking about, who knows what they're doing. Well, here in chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to this woman at, at a well, you see a master doing what he's doing, okay? You see Jesus as a master witness going on right here. And, and if there is anyone that we should learn from on how to be an effective witness, it's Jesus. And the reason why you and I need to be an effective witness is simple. Because the Bible tells us we're to be an effective witness. Okay, When you signed up, when you said, hey, I want to be a Christian, when you came to the place where you said, Jesus, be my Savior... And you became a believer in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, you being a witness did not become optional. All right? Um, you are told by Jesus that you will be a witness for him. Okay? In fact, that's one of, you know, our mission statement here in, in the church is that as disciples, we, um, we walk with Christ. We uh, worship Christ. We work for Christ. Anybody know the last W? We witness for Christ. That's what we do as a believer. We are to be a witness for Christ. And so we're looking at how to be an effective witness. And so last week I gave you the first three points. And, and here's the first thing about being an effective witness is this. Avoid meaningless controversy. And this is what we see with Jesus in the first few verses of chapter 4. He's avoiding controversy because he's heard that the Pharisees have heard about him baptizing more people than John the Baptist. And he knows they're showing up to debate him and to talk about and to get into a controversy over this whole thing. So Jesus does only one thing that he knows what to do. He leaves. He's like, I'm not going to stick around for this. And so he leaves the region, the area, and he goes to another, another region. He avoids the controversy. You and I should follow suit. That um, we should understand. How many of you know controversy doesn't go anywhere? Fighting and arguing and debating um, over things, spiritual things or non-spiritual things. When you start to get in an argument and heated debate, it's going nowhere really, really fast. You know, how many of you know even like, like this week, important truths like abortion? How many of you know that can go sideways really fast in an argument? Okay? That's an important issue, isn't it? But if you get into a controversy over it, you get into a heated debate over it, how many of you know that conversation is going nowhere really fast? It does no good for you and I to engage in meaningless controversy. We need to avoid it because it will, as, as Paul says in Titus chapter 3, that that. These things like, like controversies and genealogy, you know, getting in arguments, they're unprofitable and worthless. In chapter 2 of, sec, or chapter in 2 Timothy, he even says that when you and I get in heated arguments with, with people about things, and if there's unbelievers around, it's only hurtful to them. And so 
if, if, if I get in, whether it's online or an argument in my family or whatever it is, and there's other people who don't know Christ, my witness is done. Because they're going to look at you and me and go, man, you guys are just fools. You sound like an idiot. So we have got to be careful about avoiding meaningless controversy. Here's the second thing I said last week is seek opportunities to have a spiritual conversation. And here's what we see where Jesus is. This woman did not go to the well to seek Jesus. Jesus went to the well to seek her. She was already on his radar. He was already looking for someone, and that someone was this woman. And he was going to, his whole, his whole agenda was, I'm going to speak and have a spiritual conversation with this woman. Last week, I asked you, I said, hey, do you ever go to work looking for an opportunity to talk to someone? Do you go, before you ever get into your job, before you get out of your car, do you, do you just take a few moments to pray? God, help me to be a witness today. God, show me an opportunity that I could have a conversation with someone today. It's that easy. Just to begin to pray, God, open a door for an opportunity, and when that door opens, God, open my mouth. Help me to be say, help me just to say something. And so we got to look for those opportunities. You got to seek those opportunities. And then the third thing I said is be compassion, be compassionate despite who they are or what they do. As I've said over the past couple of weeks, this woman had three strikes against her. She was a Samaritan. Jewish people did not like or associate with Samaritans. They were a lower class citizen. She was a woman, again, a lower class citizen, and she was a sinner. She had nothing, there was nothing about her that, that if you were to take a Gallup poll with the people and say, hey, does this woman deserve time with Jesus? You would get one, probably the majority, 90% of people, no. This woman does not deserve time with Jesus. But Jesus found time for her. And he didn't care. It wasn't about, he, he was like, I can look past that you're a Samaritan. I'm going to look past that you're a woman. And I'm going to look past that you are a sinner. I'm going to show you compassion. Because I have something more important to show and tell you. Man, let's be honest, guys. And I said this last week. How quick are we to judge people? How quick are we to point a finger? How quick, you know, if a certain sexual orientation comes into the church or somebody full of tattoos and piercings come into the church, how quick are we to be uncomfortable Versus showing compassion. You see, Jesus, he didn't care who you were. He didn't care what sex you were. He didn't care what you looked like. He didn't care how you acted. He showed compassion. And he was just like, I just want to love people because they need the truth. And compassion is always the first step to evangelism. Here's the fourth thing. Now let's get into this week's message and get into the text of the last four points. Here's the fourth thing about being an effective witness. Connect with someone right where they're at. 
connect with someone right where they're at. Look at verse 10. Jesus, so he first asked in verse 7 for this woman to give her a drink. And that's when she goes into saying, I'm a Samaritan. You know, you're a Jew. You don't, you don't talk to me. And, you know, how is it that you're a Jew? You're, you know, he, she's all about that. And then Jesus in verse 10 says, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to, her, said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she is concerned about one thing. And I've said this, what's her concern? Water. Is it the spiritual water Jesus is talking about or the physical water? It's physical, okay? She has a, a legitimate physical need. She is there at the well because she is getting water for herself, for the man she's living with. Uh, we don't know if she has any children or not, but she's getting water for her, her, her household. Very legitimate need. And so I like what D.L. Moody says. He said this once. D.L. Moody once said, he says, this woman was not interested in the gospel, she was interested in water, and Jesus spoke to her about that. You know, Jesus, he, he, she, she's at the well, he's at the well, he's thirsty, she's thirsty, and guess what he doesn't initially engage in? He doesn't go, oh, by the way, you're a sinner, you need to repent. Now, that, I mean, you know, there were times when Jesus did do that, okay? But the majority of the time, um, when he did that, um, it was to the Pharisees. All right, there was never a person who was in genuine need that Jesus looked at. He didn't go to, you know, like Matthew the tax collector and go, hey, before you follow me, you better clean yourself up, dude. He didn't go to the woman who was caught in adultery and go, hey, did anybody else condemn you? So do I. He looked at people who were truly sinners and he saw the need they were in. And he met them right where their need was. This woman's need was physical water. And he starts talking about water. Now, in his mind, he, and here's the thing. He starts talking about, he starts having a conversation with, about physical water. And where does it lead? A conversation about spiritual water. You see, Jesus already knew where he wanted to go. He had the end in mind. But he was like, before I get to the end, I'm going to start right here in the beginning. And the beginning is, hey, give me a drink. But I'm a Samaritan. I don't care if you're a Samaritan. I'm just, I just need a drink. But you don't use the essentials. I don't care. Give me a drink. And he's just having a conversation about water. But it leads into a conversation about spiritual water. You and I have the same opportunity. How many of you go to work and you know somebody's in need right now? Their marriage is in trouble. They're going through cancer. Somebody died in their family. Now, here's the thing. When, when you have that opportunity, you and I have a choice. I can either stay interested in my own problem 
my own life and not engage in that. Or I, I step out of self for a second and I engage in a conversation with this person. But my initial conversation isn't, hey, do you know Jesus as your Savior? My initial conversation is, hey, what's going on in your life? What's happening? Now, you start talking about the problem, but the need, the hurt. With this in mind, how do I go from this, talking about the physical problem, how do I move it to a spiritual conversation? And it's simply this. This person, you're working with this person and, and you find out that, that their spouse left them. They're going to be broken to the core. Their spouse is now wanting to file divorce. They're going to be broken to the core. So you don't jump right in both feet going, hey, I've got the answer. Jesus is your problem. Jesus is your answer. to No. The pro How can I pray for you? What... what you know, I, 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 every morning I have a time of prayer. What can I pray for you about? That is so, I mean, not very many people are going to offend it by, you want to, they're, they're not going to throw up their defenses. How many of you know that? Most people, even, even people who don't believe in God, because they may not believe in God, but they're like, well, I'll let you go ahead and pray anyway. And they will tell you, can you pray for my family. I don't believe it, but I'll let you pray for it. It's, it's really weird because here's why. Crises have a way of getting people closer to God. Pain, you know, C.S. Lewis said it, that God whispers in, in, our, in, in the times of ease, but God shouts in our pain. God gets our attention when we're in the pain. So when you have someone you're working with in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the hurt, how easy is it just to go, can I pray for you? Just to listen to them. Just to be a, 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 an, an ear that they can just unload a burden and, and to know that, that, that you really are listening and caring. It's an opportunity to show the love of Christ in a very simple way, in a very non-religious way. Just, can I pray for you? Now, here's the thing. If you say you will pray for them, guess what you've got to do? Pray for them, okay? Spend some time praying for them. Pray for whether it's their marriage, their health, a child, whatever it may be. Pray that God will make himself known to them. Pray that they would sense the, 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 the closeness of God. Pray that God would give you more opportunity to be able to share in their life. To be able to now go a little bit deeper in a spiritual conversation. One thing that Jesus does with this woman is when he gets into verse 13, all he is doing is he keeps trying to point her to one person. Who is it? The father himself. He's just pointing, he's just, he's, he's just like, oh, by the way, I've got water that you, you really need. I've got water that if you'll drink it, it'll satisfy you that this well will, I've got water for you that will well up to eternal life. He's pointing her to him. 
but in a non-threatening way. He's still talking about water, but it's pointing to him. He's still talking about her need, but it's pointing to him. And so guess what? If you have an opportunity, you go to work seeking an opportunity. You've been praying, God, give me an opportunity. Open a door. And then at lunch, you're having a conversation with someone. And they just, boom, they just unload on you. What a perfect opportunity to just start pointing them to Jesus somehow. Hey, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? What, what, what can I specifically pray for you? You know, I want to, I want to, and then be able to just tell them, man, I, can I, can I give you an assurance? God lo- still loves you in the middle of all this. I know it may not feel like it or seem like it, but I can tell you Jesus cares. And I would love to lift you up in prayer if you don't care. It's so, it's, it's so non-offensive. It's so gentle, but yet you're still pointing them to Jesus. And so, to be an effective witness, f- see the need, find out what's going on, and just connect with someone right where they're at. Don't get too hyped up about being over-spiritual with them. Don't get too hyped up thinking you got to cram so much biblical Bible stuff. No. Just relax. Just look for the need and just wade into the pool. Talk about the need and figure out, how can I just start pointing this person to Jesus without offending them, without beating their head, you know, beating them up with the Bible right now. What can I do? Just start. Here's number five. Here's the fifth thing about being an effective witness. Stir their curiosity for what you have. Stir their curiosity for what you have. Now look at verse 13. So Jesus has just been having this conversation with this woman about water. In verse 13, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir. Give me this water. Jesus was saying things to her that when it was all said and done, it stirred a curiosity in her. Because when he was finally ta- done talking about this water that will well up inside of people, she, what was her only, re- her only response could be one thing. I want that. I want what you are offering. I want what you have. I want what you can give me. How do I get that? What is it that you have that I... He stirred her curiosity. And when it was all said and done, the only thing she could say was, Sir, give me that water. Let me ask you. Do you ever stir the curiosity of people about your faith? Not with your words. Not by evangelizing to them, but just by your life. Are you able to live in such a way where people have asked you, You're different. Why? What is it about you that, you know, we've worked together and you don't seem to be like everybody else. Why? You know, you're, you're going through a crisis, but you seem to have it. Why? 
You know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us this. He says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. Notice Peter says, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. That's the starting place. To revere Christ as Lord simply means what we sang the very first song. Lord, lay me down. I'm not my own. To revere Christ as Lord is to say, Jesus, you're it, I'm not. You're king, I'm not. I'm yours, you're, 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 the, you're the boss. You're in charge. Lay me down. You see, when I revere Christ as Lord, I want to live for him. He's God. I'm not, it's not, God, you show up and do what I want. No, it's me saying, Jesus, I want to do what you want. And so what happens is when I start to revere Christ as Lord in my heart, all of a sudden, I want to live in such a way, everybody say, not perfectly? We're not perfect. But my pursuit is to say, I want to honor Jesus. I want to live in a way that glorifies Jesus. I want to live in a way that pleases Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then when I start to, when my pursuit is to honor and please and glorify Christ, guess what happens? I start to live differently, act differently, talk differently. And when I start to act differently, live differently, and behave differently, and, 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 and sound different, and talk different, not perfect, but pursuing all this for Jesus, the result is always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. Your life is different in front of everybody else. That, they, that, that, that people look at you and me, and they look at us and go, what makes you different? Everybody else, man, they cuss like a sailor, but not you. Why not? Everybody goes out after work and wants to get drunk, but not you. Why not? Everybody just sounds so whatever, not you. Why not? You're going through a crisis, but you seem like you're doing okay. How is that? You see, our lives should reflect Christ in a way that isn't like over, like we're not going to pretend, we're not going to be the church lady. Everybody remember the church lady from Saturday Night Live? Okay, we're not going to turn into the church lady, but we need to be so Christ-focused and, and Christ-centered that Christ is coming out of our life that it's drawing people. Give me an honest answer to this question. We already talked about the Cubs once. Honest answer, even for you Cub fans. In general, over the several years, the majority of people view the Cubs as what? There you go. Losers, bad, horrible, lovable losers. That's the, even though they won the World Series, in 2016, they are still considered lovable losers. Now let's be very honest here for a second. 
in general, if you were to take a poll among unbelievers and ask them this question, what word comes to mind when you hear the word Christian or church? What do you think? What? Hypocrite. The church is full of hypocrites. So we got to ask ourselves, if most believers have a general idea, a general thinking that the church, that Christians are hypocrites, are we drawing or detracting people from Christ? Detracting. We're not drawing. We don't have people asking us, hey, what's giving you the hope? Because they can't get past, hey, why are you hypocrites? So if we want people to ask us, what is the hope? Guess what we've got to stop being? Hypocrites. we got to stop sounding like the world. we got to stop acting like the world. Are we going to be perfect? No, not at all. But listen, just think over the past two years, people who profess to be Christians, the kind of things, hateful, hurtful, damaging stuff they have posted online about people. How in the world is that Christ-like? It's not. And how in the world does that kind of language and behavior ever attract an unbeliever? It doesn't. You see, also think about this. When I'm at work or with family members and, and I'm going through the crisis... And if I am nothing more than a, um, a negative Nelly and a gloomy Gus, and all I'm talking about is woe is me and how bad the world is and I'm so miserable and life just truly stinks. And Let me ask you, are you having unbelievers going to you going, dude, tell me about the hope that you have because you've got it going on. <laughs> or are they looking at you going, well, I don't want you, what you've got because obviously your God doesn't work. Your Jesus doesn't help you at all because, man, you sound like you're just in the gutter all the time. You know, you and I have an opportunity around unbelievers to be the hands, the feet, and the voice of Christ. And sometimes, again, when we're going through a crisis, you know, you know, I think of Hope and Harold, you know, getting the the call from the doctor and going back to the doctor and then getting the, the, the confirmation. It, it's cancer. And, and I can't, you know, I mean, Paul and I kind of, but, but personally, I don't know what that's like. I don't, I don't know what that feels like to have a doctor say to you personally, you've got cancer. And I'm pretty sure it's probably been a, like a, a punch in the gut, hasn't it? Now, they have a, 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 a choice to make. They can sit around and mope and, and, and complain and gripe how bad God is, or they can say, you know what? This is hard, but God is bigger. Man, this, is, this, this, this storm is raging, but I know God's in the middle of it. So when they have an opportunity, when they're with family or with friends or, 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 or on a work site, wherever they're at, they have an opportunity to be the voice of Christ. Now, again, I'm not saying that if you're going through a crisis and someone's like, you know, an unbeliever's like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, praise Jesus. He is so good. I just, you know what? I'm about to die, but man, praise Jesus. 
I'm not talking about that. How many of you know there's a lot of people like that? And can I tell you, unbelievers look at that and go, oh, they're so fake. It's okay to go, you know what? It's hard. I don't know where this is turning out. I don't know if my kid's coming back or not. I don't know if I'm going to be healed of this cancer or not. I don't know if my marriage is going to... I don't know, but here's what I do know. God is still good. Man, I'm trusting him. I'm believing in him. And whatever, whatever happens, I'm going to keep trusting him. How many of you know that speaks reality to an unbeliever? Not some fake, well, Jesus, no. It's being real with where you are, but letting them see your faith in action. That, in my opinion, I believe is what Peter is saying. That when you revere Christ, and part of revering Christ is, Jesus, it's your life, not mine. Whatever you want to do with me, it's okay. I trust you. And so when I have a trust that is so deep in Jesus, and it's coming out of me, that my prayer is, is that God, will you use this? So if someone who doesn't know you asks me, how are you getting through this? I can say, not in my strength, because I know Jesus loves me and he has, his, he has a perfect plan for my life. You see, that speaks to unbelievers. And that is what helps us stir the curiosity. You see, we can't stir the animosity anymore. We've got to stir the curiosity. And the only way that happens is when we are just real with people and having a real faith and we have a real pursuit of Jesus and it changes everything about us. Not perfect, but pursuing Jesus in a way that gets people's attention. Here's the sixth, um, the sixth thing about being an effective witness is this. Take a chance and present the gospel. Take a chance and present the gospel. I'm going to skip over um, from verse 16 down to verse 27. I'm going to come back to that section next week. But in verse 27, remember that the disciples had gone into town to buy um, lunch. And it says in verse 27, it says, Then Jesus, or the disciples came back, and they marveled that Jesus was talking to a woman. But no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking to her? And then the woman left her jar and went away to town. And said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him by saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Let me ask you, um, where was the, the disciples' focus? On the food, man. They're like, Jesus, the burgers and fries are getting cold. We need to eat, man. Come on, Jesus. I told Dusty this. I don't know how many of you remember. It was either Santa Claus is coming to town or, or, or uh, Rudolph the reindeer, uh, red-nosed reindeer, when um, Santa wasn't eating enough. And, and Mrs. Claus is like, eat, Santa, eat. That's where I'm thinking these, these disciples like, eat, Rabbi, eat. And he's like, I already got food. I, I don't need the burgers and fries because I have food. And so it goes on in verse 33. It says, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Pop quiz. Jesus was sent by the Father to accomplish his will. Why was Jesus sent? Oh, Jan, you're on it. To seek and save the lost. That's it. He's like, I'm not here to eat burgers and fries today, guys. I had, Jesus found so much fulfillment in, in talking to this woman. He didn't need physical food. He's like, man, I'm fulfilling the will of God right now. This woman is getting saved. You know, you know what? <laughs> I jumped completely over the point. It just hit me. I'm like, that's not going where I want to go. That's actually the last point. So everybody hit the pause button. How about if we go up a few more verses back to... Verse 25. Wow. I didn't even realize I just jumped. Somebody's got to be quicker than that. So after Jesus talks about having a worship service with this woman, in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, and he will be called the Christ. Now, the reason why she knew the Messiah was coming, remember that Samaritans were part Jew, part Gentile. So they knew what the Old Testament said. And he says, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then here's what Jesus says. He said to her, I who speak to you am he. So this goes to the point of taking a chance and speak the gospel. Jesus had been speaking about the need and water and, and leading slowly into a spiritual conversation. And right here, he just cuts through the chase. I'm the Messiah and blows her away. He's no longer speaking ambiguity. He's no longer speaking just simple, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm wading into the pool. I'm, 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 I'm going to meet her where she's at. Nope, right here, right now, I am the, the Messiah. I'm the Savior. He just puts it out there. Do you know there are times where you just got to put it out there? You know what? We want to be compassionate to people. We want to wade into the pool sometimes easily with people. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to beat anybody up a spiritual truth if we don't have to. We want to, you know, just meet them right where they need. But there's got to be a time where you come to the place where you just ask somebody, do you know Christ as your Savior? Would you want to come to church with me? And you just got to take a chance and throw it out there. You don't know where it's going. You don't know how they're going to take it. You don't know where, where it's going to land. But you've got to take the risk. Because you don't know what could happen. You know, a lot of times when I talk about me, I always want to paint my, myself in a bad picture for you. I, never, I don't like to tell the good stuff. Um, but this story is very relevant to this point. About when Paul and I were first married, I was working at Applebee's in, in Gelsberg as a server. And there was one woman that I worked with, and I kept trying to witness to her. And um, this one night, she and a friend were, were at a table in Applebee's. Me, Paula, and Paula's sister went to Applebee's that night. And we sat next to them. And we're like, hey, guys, how you doing? We're talking to them or whatever. So we're having our conversation. And I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, I hear these two women start talking about God. My, this ear perks up a little bit. So I'm trying to engage in two conversations. Well, engage in one conversation, but listen to another. And before long, this one took precedent. And I remember telling Paula and Kim, I said, okay, I'm going to lead you two. And I turned, 
And I looked at him. I said, hey, you guys are talking about God. Do you mind if I sit and talk with you? They're like, no, we got some questions for you. So I sat down and, and I'm telling you, over a couple of hours, had this long conversation with these two women. We all walked out and, and walked out to the parking lot. Now, I could have, we all could have said goodnight and left. Hey, I, I, I talked with them. They're good to go. But I took a chance. Just like Jesus, I'm the Savior. He took, boom, laid it out. I looked at these two women. I said, let me ask you. Would you ever want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That night, they both said yes. In a parking lot at Applebee's, I prayed with both these women to accept Christ. Both of those women are still living for Jesus today. One of those women is Bridget Calkins. I took a chance. Now, does that happen every time? Nope. Because I've worked with a lot of people and asked them, would you ever? And they're like, no. It's going to happen. But listen, if you don't ever take the chance to invite someone to church, to ask someone, just to, hey, what, what do you believe spiritually? And try to have a deeper conversation, you'll never know what can happen. Some of you have unsaved spouses, unsaved children, unsaved parents. Man, there's got to come a moment where you go, hey, dad. Would you want to come to church with me? Dad, what do you know about G Mom, would you want to come to church? Or talk to your son. Hey, do you want to come to church? It's just, it's taking a chance to say something that's more than just surface level spiritual stuff and get to the heart and to the meat of it. And that meat is the gospel. Can you present the gospel and see where it goes? Sometimes you just got to take a chance and see what happens. And then lastly, here's the last thing about being an effective witness, and it's this. Continually realize spiritual opportunities are all around you. Continuously realize there are spiritual opportunities all around you. So now, back down to the, we went to McDonald's part. They got the food. They've come back. They want the rabbi to eat. Jesus is like, I have food you don't know about. And they're like, wow, I didn't know someone brought him food. And he's like, my food is to do the will of him. And the will was him to come and seek and save the lost. He is satisfied because he, he, he this woman got saved. Because she goes back and she's telling everybody, hey, I think I found the Messiah. You all need to come too. You see, she took a chance. She runs back and she starts telling all of her friends. She's like, hey, I know, I know you think I'm the weird woman, but hey, I found the Messiah. Come and see. And the entire town packs up and they take our lunches. Let's go. And they went out. And Jesus is like, I don't need food, guys. I have a satisfaction that you're not getting right now. And he looks at these guys in verse 35. He says, do not say there are yet four more months, then comes to harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Now, we don't know if Jesus was standing in, in some kind of field. Maybe he was standing in a wheat field. We don't know. And maybe he was using a, a real illustration. Say, guys, look at this. He's like, do you see where we're standing? This doesn't need any more time for, for, for ripening. It's ready for picking. And he was using that as an illustration with this woman. He's like, guys, I'm telling you, there is a town. You were so busy with burgers and fries, you missed an opportunity. 
There were unsaved people in that town. You could have got them, but you didn't see it. So guys, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes and notice something. The field is ripe. People are ripe. They're like, you ever walk by an apple tree and the, tr the, the, the apples are red? Do you have to sit there and go, no, I think I'm going to wait for a little more time because I don't think they're red enough. Or do you pick it and you eat it? There are people all around you who are ready to be picked. They're red apple. It's red apple evangelism. They're ready. All it needs to happen is for you to start saying something. Start inviting someone. Well, you know, Jim, I, I, I've talked with, with, with my dad. I, I've talked with my best friend, and they don't want anything. Okay, pause the button on your best friend. How about a coworker? Well, I've talked to my coworker. Well, how about your neighbor? How about your best friend? How about a family member? There are people all around us. All we have got to do is go back to the other point and start seeking an opportunity. It go, let's keep working back. It goes back to going, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I have been commissioned to be a witness for Christ. And because I'm, I'm supposed to be a witness for Christ, I better start praying and seeking opportunities to witness. And as I start praying and seeking opportunities, I need to start seeing when God opens a door. And then when God opens a door, I'm going to start walking through those doors. And I'm going to start just slowly paving it. And then when God gives me an opportunity, I'm taking the chance. And I'm going to present the gospel. I'm going to invite someone to church. I'm going to do whatever. But I'm not going to miss these opportunities because I'm going to keep my eyes up. And I'm going to keep them rotating. And I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep seeing when can I talk to my neighbor? When can I talk to a coworker? When can I talk to my best friend? When can I talk to my mom? When can I talk to my brother? When can I talk to my cousin? When can I talk? You see, there's plenty of opportunity. The question is, is do you want to take advantage of the opportunities? Do you see the harvest? Jesus said to his disciples, guys, you don't need any more. There's no more ripening. The field's ready. Start picking. Guys, there's no more time to ripen. Man, I'm telling you, we're living in a time. You can't tell me that if you start a conversation about what's happening in the world, there are people going to be freaking out. What a perfect time to pick because people are scared. People are uncertain. People have no idea what's going on right now. But guess what? You have a message of hope because you can tell them it's not about here and now. It's about what's coming. And let me ask you, do you know Jesus is your savior? Take the chance. Amen. Why don't we all stand?